0: welcome back to jack howard color the podcast today's guest is Haley Jepson. she's a qualified hairdresser 30 years of working with color behind the chair she's also a qualified psychotherapist she brings a brilliant fresh perspective to the conversation about self-care self-awareness to the table can't wait for you to hear it let me know in the comments below what you think welcome back to jack howard color the podcast today's guest is Haley Jefferson. And Haley is a hair colorist with 30 years experience who had moved into psychotherapy. And she's a psych- qualified psychotherapist. And she spends her time now raising awareness with hairdressers about burnout and all those things that sort of my generation never really wanted to talk about. So I've been really pleased to get her on. I've met you obviously at events in the UK. We did an event together this year as well. And you just are mesmerising with what you do and you have this very sort of clear way of talking about it. You don't make things complicated, which always appeals to me. But I wanted to talk to you first of all, I want to say welcome. Thank you. <laughs> and I wanted to ask you, how did hairdressing start for you?
1: Well, hairdressing started a little bit late for me, Jack, than most people. I was 17 when I started it and so I'd already gone to college for a year Uh, and I was doing media studies. (laughs) And so, yeah, I know it it kind of eventually came full circle, but I wanted to do um, sound recording and stuff like that. And that was the sort of thing I was doing. Anyway, college just wasn't really for me. It wasn't panning out that well. And at the time, I was having some really cool hair extensions. I had all sorts of, they were, do you remember dome hair extensions? They were like, I was having those. And somehow I managed to get myself a job where I was having my extensions done because I thought that seemed fun. (laughs) It was exactly all of those things. And so I quit college and went to work for the people that did my hair who were, you know, party central. And it was really fun. But all I knew was I didn't want an office job. Yes. I I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And college just didn't pan out how I thought it was going to. And so I fell into hairdressing but it was a great decision. You know, it was one of those accidental good decisions for me. And so that's how I fell into it. But it turned out the salon I was first at wasn't, I mean, it was fun, (laughs) but I wasn't going anywhere there. You know, they had a big party agenda. Um, But I was at like a day release college like you do in the UK. And the college uh, teacher said to me, I think you would do well in the centre of Manchester. And I was like, okay. So they gave me a, they found me a position in what I would call a posh salon, um, a a high-end salon. And that's when things really started. And I was like, oh, this could be good. Uh, And I started to take it seriously.
0: And and did you start out colour or were you a generalist to begin with and then went into colour?
1: I decided to be a colourist within two weeks. Really? Yeah. So what happened was, as I think everybody does, I went into hairdressing thinking, yeah, I'm going to cut hair. Uh, and within uh, in this salon, they had, you know, we called them tinters and permas then, but there was the, yeah. Technicians. Yeah. <laughs> the tinters and permas and the stylists. Um, and within two weeks, I was like, oh, I want to work with the funny women over there, the tinters and permas. I want to work with those women because they were hilarious. And I thought everyone else was a bit pretentious. And so I decided to become a technician in that moment. And I tell you what, Jack, it was the best decision I made. It has served me so so well to be a colorist, and I always look back and think, what a happy accident that I chose that. Because, you know, once upon a time, um, you know, there was like one colorist to twenty stylists.
0: So this is what I wanted to talk to you about because yeah. you wanted to work with the the funny people, yes. the cool people who were the, who were the colorists, yeah. and of course, colorists. In those days, we were always at the back of the salon, right, or in the basement. We were never at the forefront. Colour not with the
1: good lights. No,
0: not <laughs> with the good lights. It was sort of like we were the add-on service that was the most expensive <laughs> service, right? Yes. Because that the cutters were all up front. And of course, that conversation has changed in there. But what drew you to colour? Because it's very technical. I'm not saying that cutting isn't, right? But we know is my favourite. What drew you to that this, the, the people that it spoke to?
1: Literally, the, it was who I got to work with. I wasn't thinking that far in advance as a teenager. Right. You know, I was living in the moment of what seemed fun. Yes. That's how I was operating. And I just thought, I want to work with those women because it's fun when I work with them. When I'm washing off their colours and passing up their perm rollers and all that, I was having a good time. Right. Whereas when I was in the other section of the salon... I wasn't spoken to quite as nicely. And it was just stuff like that that made my decision. But it turned, I remember thinking it was a smart decision because once I qualified, I was what I called gold dust. There wasn't many good technicians around. Yeah. And so I was gold dust. So it was a smart decision for that. But I just learned it it just turned out well because I loved it. You know, and I didn't love blow-drying. I thought that was quite boring. And so I never really had to do it again <laughs> for a long time. Yes. And then about 25 years later, I thought, oh, I better learn. <laughs> so I did. So I'm still
0: trying to learn how to blow-dry, right? But I do a very I,
1: average blow-dry.
0: I do below average, so don't worry. <laughs> I, I, I went into hairdressing and I wanted to cut, right? And it, cutting seemed... Stronger to me, and it seemed easier to me than color and I think I chose the easy option to begin with, um whereas again, there weren't many tinters and pers. I remember Asal and I worked out they had two, yeah, and um you know, and they were they were so busy, yeah. I mean it was unbelievable, but there wasn't they, they weren't positioned properly
1: no and at and all. it felt like the underdog story being a technician for years and and it felt like. And I, I do sort of enjoy this position, I think, a little bit. But like, I was fighting for, look at the good work we're doing. And I used to get quite annoyed when the stylist would say, um, Will you color my client? Yes. And it's like, she's my client now, though, as well. Uh, you know, and it was always like, I work for them. Yes. And I just used to think it was bonkers, you know? And so I really, en- I, I've enjoyed watching color get equal billing and if not now becoming its top billing currently I would say yes I really think it is but things change but you know when I came into the industry I didn't even know that people did there was tinters and permas and stylists because I started out in a small salon where people did everything and then I, when I got moved to the you know what I called the posh salon I was like oh you have to choose Well, I choose the funny people. Funny people. (laughs) I just didn't know specializing was a thing, and I sort of feel the trend has gone the other way now, hasn't it? Back towards being an all rounder a little bit, and I think it's interesting to watch.
0: I think that I think what happened was that there was the rise of the colorist uh, over time. Obviously, as things became more specialized or perceived to be specialized, and then, of course something that most people didn't know, but colorists always knew is that we always had the bigger paycheck, right? Because our bills were bigger. And if we worked, and if we worked fast and hard, we had a much bigger paycheck, right? And then you get drawn into that, like, let's do 18 clients a day, let's do 24 clients a day kind of thing, which is unsustainable when you look back at it. Um, But I think now what you see is with the With the sort of leveling of the field with social media, you see people doing all of it and doing all of it well. Some people do a little bit stronger and better and other people, you know, and vice versa. But there is an opportunity to showcase your work to a much bigger audience. And I think that's why it it doesn't seem quite the same. Plus, we're out of the loop a little bit, right? We're doing other things. And so we're not necessarily in the salon all the time. And so I just sort of go by what I see on social and what I see when I'm around and about.
1: I think people like doing their client from start to finish as well. Yes. I think that's the thing that changed, you know, Um, and I think with a lot of people becoming freelancers and working for themselves, they had to, you know, it was very different. When I went freelance as a colorist who couldn't blow dry, (laughs) I had to learn to, A, I had to learn to blow dry really fast. And my clients had to accept that they had to have a haircut somewhere else. I was never going to become a full service. And so I wonder with the changing way that people are working, that's why people are becoming uh, more skilled.
0: I think you're right. I think you're spot on there because, you know, my my forever search for that perfect blow dry. Right. (laughs) To go with the the look that I've got in my head that I've created on the client is always going to be a a struggle when somebody else is doing it because somebody else is. Perception of what it looks like, and if you go on your own, as as we know, you've got to be able to do a little bit more. Yeah. What led you from colorist in a in a obviously a very busy salon? It was Tony and Guy, yeah. Uh,
1: I, I wasn't a Tony and Guy when I left um hairdressing, but I, I was at Tony and Guy for ten years. I worked right. all over for them and educated for them and whatnot.
0: Yes, and to to leave that and go freelance, what was what was that about? What, what, how did that come around?
1: Well, what happened was there was a little bit of a journey between those two. So I was at Tony and Guy uh, and then I went to work for an independent salon, which was pretty much lots of Tony and Guy people who left <laughs> and, yes. and someone set it up, you know, so everybody went. Um, and then I left there um, and that's when I did the therapy thing. And it's when I came back into hairdressing that I went freelance. And so... There was a there's a bit of a thing in the middle.
0: <laughs> Let let's get into that, right? The so middle
1: bit. <laughs> the
0: middle bit. What made you think I'm going to leave hairdressing and I'm going to study to be a psychotherapist?
1: Sort of misery, really, Jack. <laughs> misery wow. and um, a, a despair with the culture I was working in and unhappiness in my life at the time. And I was about 32 or three, Mm. 34 maybe when this sort of started. And so I'm someone who struggled with depression on and off since my teens. Um, And in my early thirties, it was back with a vengeance really. And so I went off and I was behind the chair full time at this time. And I went off and got myself a therapist after you know trying all sorts of you know i'd had reiki and i'd done this and yeah. i'd done the you know the yoga and i was like oh i think we need the big gun so i got myself a therapist uh, and this was the best thing i ever did for myself it was amazing and i'd been having some therapy for two years and i felt better in myself but my love for my job was not coming back right um and i was at that point uh which is interesting it, Early 30s is a real assessment of is this what I'm doing with my life? Yes. You know, all my coaching clients, I'm always like, Are you 32? <laughs> and they're always in their early 30s. Um, and I just thought to myself, is this what I'm doing for the next 30, 40 years? I can't, I just don't see it. And so I just said to my therapist one day, How do I do what you do? And she told me the process, and I thought, Oh, all right then. And so I applied and and I did it because I just thought, I don't think I can stand up and do hair forever. I just hmm. I'm not happy enough. Uh, and it was and when I look back, Jack, it, it's more complex than it felt at the time because I think some of it was the culture where I was working, but some of it was me. Yes. You know, when I when I have a more well-rounded view of it now, you know, looking back 15 years, I think it wasn't all them.
0: <laughs> I think that when you look back if you've done the work you can always say that i owned part of that do you know yes, what i mean because sure. but when you're in it sometimes it's difficult to take ownership of 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 it all i mean i've been in therapy for years right i'm a huge advocate of it and a therapist said to me many years ago you know you can't change the story but you can change how you feel about yeah. it and awesome. that's so fantastic but what i think's interesting is that somebody who didn't like college went back to college.
1: Well, it was a little bit more hippified than that. It's it's.
0: Hi, what does that mean?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it What's wasn't, that? I know. Honestly, I didn't know what I was getting into. I just, I was motivated to move away from something. Do you know what I mean? And I didn't, re- I just was so fascinated by therapy and I'd got fascinated beyond me. I was like this is good doesn't it work it's a sit-down job oh I could do this forever it looks great I'd figured out how I could finance it and I thought oh brilliant and so I went for an interview I'll tell you the beginning but I went for an interview with the guy it was like a private course right it's not in a university it's run by a private therapy center that's affiliated with a body and all the things um, and I met this guy and you know he's just such a delightful human and a little bit hippie vibe, and he said and I didn't have the qualifications like you were supposed to have um, a degree in psychology I didn't have any right. of that and he said to me oh you're a hairdresser oh I always take hairdressers because they're always good and he said I'll take a chance and so he took a chance on me and it obviously it panned out really well but he said I've trained lots of hairdressers and you're always great he said you can't teach what you lot know
0: well it's the empathy I think that we have right that we're, yeah. we're empaths and we feel and yeah. yeah
1: he called it the bedside manner and the people skills he said I see a lot of smart people but they will never have the bedside manner so they won't be good therapists
0: yeah that's very true as well because yeah, you, yeah. but also a lot of hairdressers you know you, bedside manner's is important when you're dealing with people full stop isn't it really
1: important it, I think it's you know I remember being told in my early days it's 50% personality this and 50% talent yeah and I, I think it's true
0: I do I do it's how you come across to people as well as, people as, give as, you well as a go. yeah give <laughs> you a give you another
1: chance if they liked you <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank goodness
1: <laughs> it is it's so true and so To say to describe what I meant when I said it was quite hippified, I did my therapy training in a room full of couches and beanbags. And the guy that taught it taught it how I teach now. Uh, I basically, my teaching style comes from him and it was very interactive. And you didn't sit at a desk, it was all teach you something, go and figure it out in a group, teach you something, go and figure it out in a group. And then you had these essays to write, but You know, it wasn't like it has to be in next Tuesday. It was like, you've got a year. And every year we would have so many essays to write. And you just had to have them in at some point. And I scraped through those essays because it's not my favourite thing.
0: Scraped through it. But you did it.
1: I did. Honestly, I look back, Jack, and I think, how did I do that? But I was so motivated to change my life at the time.
0: I love that. The motivation that put you forward to to get on with it.
1: It was the right age. It's a very doing decade your 30s mm, you know very much very motivated and so I remember thinking if you're gonna change your life Haley, you need to do it now while you've got the energy and you're at the peak of your earning I thought I'm at the peak of my earning power as a hairdresser mm. if I'm gonna fund this I should do it now that so was that was how I was thinking
0: clever though I mean you know with a little bit of foresight in there too it Turned
1: out all right
0: <laughs> okay. Do my first therapy session in London in my twenties was a room full of beanbags, and I was just like, "I am not doing this. I know hell with it." Like it was just not for me. But in my thirties, to reference back to what you were saying, I definitely did the work um, to make my life better. That's why I went into it, you know. And I sort of it really, really helped.
1: Pain's a good motivator, you know, when you're unhappy or in pain it's a great motivator sadly
0: sadly but it's also difficult sometimes to identify the pain or what's hurting do you know what I mean and it can be so many other things besides you know your childhood trauma or the stuff that you carry around with you it's a tough it's a real tough one and you can see people struggle with it um
1: it's complex it's
0: complex complex.
1: people like to try and oversimplify it I think quite a lot and I just think it's grey, complex, different for everyone.
0: Yes, different for everybody. And also something that Brits haven't been particularly great at talking about, what they're going through and and all of that. Because we have this, I don't have it, obviously, because I'm an emotional train wreck all the time. I sort of tear at anything. (laughs) But we we have this kind of, you've just got to get on with it. Yeah.
2: And,
0: and, you know, shut up. Pull your socks up, yeah! I did it. You can do it. All of that stuff, and that sort of leads us into. I want to. I want to know how you got back into hairdressing, but it leads us into the language that is used now, um, and that we talk about. And one of your big things is burnout, yes. and, and work life balance. I was like, what the f- is work life balance? I had no idea, right? <laughs> what the hell's burnout? I I mean I think that I'm pretty in tune with what's going on in me and I'm pretty honest about it all but I had no clue and then I saw you on Instagram and I don't know it must have been through one of the connections and there's this conversation I'm like what are they talking about yeah. what is <laughs> what is this but then when I read the read the bit further down I'm like oh I know what that is But I don't know the words for it. So yeah,
1: you don't have the words for the feelings or the experience. Not
0: those kind of experiences, right? I mean, I was just like, the only way I'm going to survive is to get on with it. And it was like, just get on with it, and it'll just somehow it'll sort itself out. And then you know, you sort of take the time off, or you know, you drink too much, or whatever ideas to escape it all. But then you're still back at point one. How? So how did you see? an opportunity to bring what you'd you'd left hairdressing for something but then you were able to bring it back which is the wonderful thing about our community that we can be all offering different things within the realm of hairdressing what what brought you back what did you see
1: it's so crazy how it all happened and so I left the industry when I qualified and I thought I'm never coming back. I was right. like this is my ticket out of here and I worked as a full-time therapist for about five years um, and I worked in a sixth form college for most of that. I was like a school counsellor, a, a, an overqualified school counsellor really and that was fun and I had my own practice but eventually I found the job lonely Jack which yes. I didn't see coming because I was for for the first few years, I was so thrilled that I was doing it, um, fascinated by the job. I didn't notice that. Uh, And then after a few years, once my confidence had come and it wasn't so, you know, I didn't feel like I was flying by the seat of my pants quite so much. And this was going to be my new life. I thought this is too much of a lonely existence for me. Mm -hmm. And I felt my mood going down again. But I had enough tools and knowledge to know why. And I thought, this job's too lonely for me and around this time um a salon a friend of mine who works in a salon and they were all stylists and they were desperate for a technician and they'd asked me several times to work for them and I said no Uh, and they messaged me on this day when I'd figured it out and he messaged me and offered me a job and I, I said I'll do you a day I'll do you one day to help you out and I thought it might balance out my life a little bit. Right. And I wasn't going back because I wanted to. I was doing it to help my friend. Uh, and then, so I went back. I inherited a clientele. And I did hair one day a week. And I started to realize that on the days when I would wake up and think, right, who am I today? And when I was a hairdresser, I was happy. I was happier than the days. And this was just like, not me for six, Jack. I didn't see it coming. Right. You know, that I would enjoy it. And so, slowly, slowly, I basically stopped being a therapist and went back to being a full time hairdresser. But I was reflecting on why I was not unhappy this time around, what was different. And I, you know, and because of the tools I had as a therapist, I was, you know, this is how my brain works now. I started to realize that all the things I'd learned as a therapist, plus the buckets of therapy that I'd had, meant that I knew some new stuff Mm. that was helping me deal with. Hairdressing. Um, I was protecting myself better, all sorts of things. And I just thought to myself, oh, hairdressers need to know about this. This is there's something in this because if I'd have known this earlier, maybe I wouldn't have left. Mm. If I had these skills, I wouldn't have had to go round this ha- big round the houses dance of going off the train to be a therapist. And so I was starting to think about how I could do that. And but also, I was paying attention to the fact that my back is absolutely knackered, Jack. It's well documented that my back is ruined. And I eventually stopped hairdressing because of my back. And so I knew I needed an exit strategy. Right. And so I started to form this idea of the resilient hairdresser. And I I built this idea with a client, my longest standing hairdressing client, who was a life coach. Uh, and we used to talk about it while I was doing her hair. And I was like, I need an exit strategy, Michelle. I need a plan. <laughs> and she said what's special about you and I thought about that and I thought well what's special about me is I'm a therapist and a hairdresser that's my skill set but maybe I could help the hair industry and so that was how it all started to come together
0: an exit strategy that isn't really an exit strategy right it's It's more of a sidestep it's a pivot (laughs) yes it's a pivot
1: and it panned out great
0: something you said in there right and it's like you came back with this skill set. Now there's this pushback in the industry from the powers that be about this is the way that we did it. This is the way that it's got to be. This yeah. is the way it is. This is the way it was for me. And this is
1: how we've always done it.
0: Yeah, this is how the we've always done it. Worst phrase in the world. I hate that phrase, right? Even Honestly, though
1: I just can't yeah. roll my eyes enough.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but the pushback. I felt myself pushing back at it as well. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm like, gosh, the inherent stuff that yes. you carry around with you. Yes. And we, we talk about, you know, we can talk about race and misogyny and homosexuality, and we can recognize that. But actually, the the stuff that I held on to, that I learned, and I had to let go of it. And it's like, why does somebody have to train for five years before they become a hairdresser? You know, junior st- junior colourist for two years, assistant yeah. for three years. Why do? Why? Why does it have to be like that? Just because it was for me.
1: Yeah, and people say I like I hate this phrase as well. Didn't do me any harm. <laughs> oh, <laughs>
0: it did me lots of harm. It did us loads of
1: harm. Wake up. <sighs> It's interesting. I did a little bit of research recently for a class I was teaching around differences in the generations, you know, like the baby boomers, the Gen Xs, the Gen Zs, millennials, what have you. And there was a shift that came um, after Gen X. So me and you are probably Gen X. And then after that, oh, it's the millennials and the uh, Zs and they call them the Zoomers. Anyway, um, they really dislike hierarchy yes and they like to be praised on uh results not longevity of service whereas gen x upwards and particularly the baby boomers they really think that loyalty and that you must work your way up mm. and you get your promotions based on time served yes and the new generations don't and i think that's that struggle that you're talking about, you know. Whereas for me, I started as an assistant, then I varded, and I dreamed of becoming an art director one day. You know, that was the way.
0: The pathway was in front of you, right? And yeah. it's like, and there were lots of people blocking you along the way, yes. right? But you sort of the struggle was to get that to to get there. Yeah. But it was going, to, it wasn't going to be quick.
1: And we knew it was a time served thing as well. Yeah. And, and the younger ones now, they're not into it. They're like, but I've got the results, why have I got to wait? You know what? why is Sandra going before me just because she's been here longer? You know, and, and I think good for them.
0: It's valid though, isn't it? When you think about it.
1: Yeah, it is. It is.
0: It really is. And I, you know, obviously the struggle is we saw the struggle happen happening pre-pandemic. Yeah. You know, there was the people were unhappy in our industry. With the way it was, they were unhappy with seeing how much they took for the business because the business would put the stats up on the board, you know, to shame people into doing better. (laughs) And then so you'd see what the total was, and then you'd see what you took home, and it'd be like, oh, that's kind of weird. And overworked, you know, and the pandemic hit, and everyone stopped, (laughs) and we had no choice in it. And in the UK, you know, very different to America, but in the UK, it was nine months of not working. And then intermittent working in between it. And suddenly we were all doing shifts and suddenly we'd spent our time, you know, the pandemic was good for me in many ways because Mm -hmm. I learned how to go online and, and people (laughs) and do that without a brand doing that for me. And you know what, We saw that change. What happened for you in the pandemic?
1: Well, I'd like to start just a couple of months before the pandemic, actually, because I launched my business online. I sort of officially put myself on Instagram November 2019. So I'd been operating before that for a few months, doing a few workshops and what have you. But November 2019, I was like, here I am, folks. I'm ready to help busy hairdressers. And then within like four months, the world shut down. And I was yeah. like, oh, I, I, I've i got to help hairdressers sat around panicking. And it was, a di- I, I suddenly had to solve a different problem. And so it was crazy for me because I, I was, you know, new and prepared with my little plan. And it just went out the window overnight. <laughs> and, and so I was a, like...
0: A real quick pivot.
1: Oh, okay. They're, they've got no work. And their stress is now not about being busy. It's about... Having no work, but there's a burnout exhaustion that comes with the worry, and but it was a different set of problems. And so, I remember I basically spent the pandemic reading the room daily. Uh, you know, there was no planning of posting because the mood changed on a, on a daily basis, depending on grants, panic, vaccines. But you know, the early days it was just felt like the walking dead, you know, people were very, very scared to leave the houses, and so. That was how it started at the beginning, you know. And then once, you know, we all sort of settled into the pandemic a little bit. I, um, I, I just, I got some coaching was one of the first things that I did uh, with an American woman called Elizabeth. Fay.
0: I've heard you speak about her. She's before. great,
1: Elizabeth. She's brilliant. And I basically just thought, oh, I've got some time on my hands, and I'm, you know, it was a bit like I kept myself going. By working on the resilient hairdresser, because you've got to remember, I was still behind the chair then, Jack. And so I I had clients ringing me and all that stuff. So I was still very much a hairdresser. But my hobby became the resilient hairdresser. That's Mm. how I entertained myself through the pandemic. And I live on my own. And so there was a long period before we got bubbles where it was just me and the cats. And so that's what I did. I just worked. And I just started to take it more and more seriously and start to think. I could leave the industry soon and do this, you know, this could. And it really, I think, sped it all up. And so one of the first things I did was I joined a program that Elizabeth Fay was doing uh, called Education Foundations, and it was about teaching hairdressers. And it was brilliant. I I was looking for a business coach, but no one spoke hairdresser. Mm. It was like my therapist didn't used to speak hairdresser, and no one speaks hairdresser. And so all these business coaches were saying stuff, and I thought, No one's going for that. Uh, And then I saw Elizabeth and I was like, yes, you. (laughs) And so I joined her programme and I never looked back. And it's not all the stuff that I learned from her that was brilliant. It's the people that I met. I met other people who were budding educators as well. And I found a crew and some support. And I had a a clear direction and and a lot of energy and a lot of time to throw at it. So it was great.
0: A lot of time. And also... uh... Clear direction and a voice, right? You've got a voice. You you have the experience of being behind the chair, which no, nope, it's it's a rare one, right? Because we are different. I think we are different. And then to be able to bring to it the therapy side, and then yeah. everyone's at home panicking because the initial panic was no money, right? And grants. Emma Fowler was absolutely fantastic at all of that. Yeah, I, know, I know that your your friends, unbelievable. Yeah. But then there's like the opportunities to organize your contracts, to organize your stock control, to organize yeah. your booking system. To There were so many opportunities in that lockdown and people needed help and guidance in it yeah to come out better
1: I just I just was what I was just paying attention to social media and people were scared and I just kept thinking how do I help how do I help because I I'd set out to help hairdressers with what I thought I was going to help them with but they were screaming out for different help and all I was thinking in that time was how can I help and so I was making videos, talking to the camera, you know, and just totally winging it, you know. And then I invested in a fancy mic. I don't think I had a ring light yet. But I was just talking to the camera and I was ranting about stuff and things. And Emma Fowler, who always says to me, I found you through one of your first rants and I loved it. <laughs> I don't even know what I was ranting about. Who even knows? You'd have to scroll back. But it was probably about PPE or something. I don't even know. But I just... I was trying, I was just desperately trying to support hairdressers with this problem that we're all faced with. Yes. What can I do with what I've got? You know, because, you know, instead of getting tied up in when I've done this coaching, I can do this. When I've made this money, I can do this. When I've got a microphone, I can do this. I just thought, what can I do? And around this time, this was when everything changed for me. Um, A woman from Australia messaged me and said, Hayley, I want to work with you. But obviously, I'm in Australia, you're not doing live workshops, but I desperately need your help. What can you do? And I just said, well, I'll talk to you on Zoom if you want. You yes. know, why don't we just have a quick chat, see how that feels, and then we'll I'll talk to you like that if you want. And she was like, great. I mean, so it was like 9 o'clock at night her time, 9 in the morning for me. We met on Zoom, and within 10 minutes she was like, right, so we can do this every week. How do I pay you? And I was like, okay and so i got my first one to one client like that and it had never occurred to me jack to do one to one clients i was very focused on live classes and making an online course and then i was like oh this is genius and so i started doing one to ones and that was a massive brilliant pivot in my business and my favorite bit
0: one to ones and on zoom yes you couldn't do it in you couldn't do it in your office
1: i'd never so used could- zoom before and it yeah, would never have, have to me because I come from a therapist background. You meet in a room and sit in chairs. That's how and that well. works. And it would never have occurred to me to have done it on Zoom. And, you know, i am always be grateful for the, the woman in Australia just saying, can we do this? And I was like, all right. And then I thought, this is genius. This is brilliant. Um, it, the the, the
0: winds in COVID, yeah. you know, the, the winds in it. I think for a, a lot of us are still battered from it. Um, you know, we all have to change the way we look at things, the way that we did things. But I mean,
1: spent their savings. You know, a lot of people I know. It's like that; those precious savings were spent surviving the pandemic. Surviving. and so the 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 um, what do I? The safety net's gone. Yes, a lot of people, and they, you know, so when we face a financial crisis now, they're like, "But my safety net's gone."
0: I totally, I totally understand that.
1: Yeah, me too. Yeah,
0: yeah, I. I think that I think that what happened then it's going to be with us for a long time. But I think that there were some great things, great opportunities for some of us in it. Whether that be that you're a salon owner that re-looked at your business, whether that be you started a new business, whether that be you worked for a salon and you you went off somewhere else onto your own. There were opportunities, but we weren't all looked after by the government. And I, I'm certainly thankful to the people that popped online that helped and supported and all those yeah. things. But I wanted to talk to you about, I love the story. I had never heard it so clearly from you. Um, and there's always 5 million people around us when we're out, right? And it's like, hi, 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 <laughs> you know? And then it's like the, the, the Amigos, all, all, all of oh, you yes. crew, right? Four. You come as a four. Uh, so it's difficult to get a chat. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to talk to you about language. Okay. And you're so good at putting these real strong little messages on Insta. And obviously Insta is a doorway into your world. Yeah. Um, The first time I heard, when I started hearing this work-life balance thing, I'm like, what is that? And I can remember going out with this very big person at L'Oreal for dinner. What does it mean? And she said, Jack, work-life balance is what works for you. Yes. And and she was like, what works for you? And I was like, oh, so I'm not doing anything wrong. There isn't a right way to do it. It's what works for you. Yeah. And I loved that. And I was like, oh, I understand that now. There must be a gazillion people as old as me or older. And I mean, I know that we are in the the geriatric part of it. But (laughs) burnout, what does burnout mean to you?
1: well i have my definition of it yeah um and there's there's a dictionary definition and what have you but i tend to describe it like this hang on i've got to think now it's uh i say it's mental physical and emotional exhaustion and when it gets really bad it has a dose of hopelessness on the top Mm. and so you know if you picture that it's like you're emotionally drained your body's hurting uh you mentally can't think anymore, but you also feel like it can't be any different. That's how I felt when I decided to become a therapist. Right. I left the industry because I didn't think it could be different. That was the hopelessness on the top. Do you see what I mean? I felt pushed into a corner and it wouldn't be any different. I didn't go and work in a different salon because I thought it won't be any different there. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? And so I think that hopeless on top is when it gets Bad.
0: I think when it's when it's hopeless, I think that's when I turn to alcohol.
1: Yeah, or whatever floats people's boats, you know. Yeah. Hopeless as well has an element of depression for me. You know, Mm. when I feel depressed, I feel hopeless. I, I I gauge my mental health on how hopeful about the future I am.
0: Well, that's a very good way to find out whether you're feeling good or not. It's about how much hope you have, isn't it?
1: For sure. Like when I was depressed. I was terrified about the future. I remember feeling so scared about the future that I couldn't even read my star sign in a magazine Mm. because I was terrified about what they might say. Because if they said something like Wednesday's going to be bad, oh, you know, I just couldn't cope with the process. I was so fragile in my coping skills at that time and how safe I felt in the world that that was too much for me to bear. Mm. You know, and I just, I look back and I think that's so sad, but I had very few resources.
0: Yes. And that's where the loneliness comes in, too, right? Yes. When you feel when you feel lonely, when the, and the resources can be friends and coworkers yes. and colleagues, yeah. and you know. And my worry for the 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 independence is that they don't have a support network, but they do. They do have a support network. It is there, and that's the that's the joy. Yes. When you see see it, I, so I did. I you know I'm a, I like a hustle. I'm a hustler, right? Yeah. I you know I I push myself. I do all those things but I'm a different hustler today to the one I was 3 4 years ago 3 4 years ago I'd work all day in the salon and on a plane and yeah. working and come back to the salon and just continually knackered yeah and the hustle today is slightly different and I do make time within a day myself or I, I might say to myself let's have a lay in and I'll get up at 7 or 8 o'clock but that's okay with me right
1: <laughs> it's the middle of the night that's the major <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know i've got the gym i've got the body to look after you know it's like whatever but we're in such difficult times right i mean i don't know what food prices are like in the uk at the moment but in the usa it is ridiculous for -hmm. a basket of food and everyone's going to be cautious with their money um and and i think in certain parts of the hairdressing industry it's tighter than others the rich always rich and they never really worry Mm-hmm. But that sort of mid-range and lower-range income yeah. levels really impacted by it. How do we talk about hustling, as well as being looking after ourselves in an economic downturn? What 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 do you think is okay, okay <laughs> um, but not okay? Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I, I I like what you, the person from L'Oreal said to you about everyone has to decide for themselves what's okay for them, because yeah. for some people, their job is their hobby as well. You know, yeah. And for better or worse. Um, Well, this job is more my hobby now. When I was hairdressing, I didn't feel like that. But this I feel like that now. Like I really enjoy what I'm doing. And so I think people like me and you might work more than others. And people are surprised when I answer their messages at 10 at night. But I'm just like, this is all right for me. Don't you fret. There isn't rules about the boundaries. You know, you can work a Saturday or a Sunday if you want. We don't all have to take off Saturdays now with our boundaries. You know, like you just decide what works for you, your life, your priorities and your energy levels. Mm. And I think that your priorities can change. So sometimes your priority might be your kids and spending time with your kids. But sometimes it's money. Money. For those kids. Yes. And I think you you change your boundaries and your work-life balance on what's important to you at that time. But how I think about it is, you've got to think about sustainability with your energy levels. So I've been talking to a lot of hairdressers about this recently, about how often people work a lot in December and get sick in January. And I think that's a really good example of um, a false economy in a way and a misuse of your energy. You know, like if you overdo it, You have to pay it back. And then we end up sick in January cancelling clients. And so it's just about finding little ways to take care of yourself so that we can be sustainably productive. I mean, productive for want of a better word, but keep you focused on your goals. Because if you make yourself poorly chasing money and then have to cancel a load of clients because you're sick, that's a false economy.
0: You lose money right
1: lose money yeah it's it's a bit like all or nothing you know it's like you go mad then you're sick you go and then you become inconsistent which is also bad for your business Mm. and so sometimes you've got to just bring it down a notch so that you can go the distance and, and treat it more like a marathon than a sprint and I think people look at December like a sprint and just think whatever I'll deal with it in January it'll be quiet but if you're, you know, like a lot of busy people, January is busy.
0: You're busy all the time, right? Because people are coming in. Yeah,
1: yeah. And but I understand what you're saying. Some people are in a very, very tough situation. You know, they can be single parents, yes, as well as um, trying to hold down a full time job. Um, you know, dealing with a crisis, and you know, for some people, it will be. It is a lot harder than others. You know, and yeah. I don't ever go onto Instagram and say the five boundaries you need as a hairdresser. Oh, it makes me feel poorly because it's so disrespectful to speak like that. Yes. Because what you need, Jack, what I need. It's different. And, you know, and someone who might be a single mom working as a mobile hairdresser, the boundaries we need and the priorities that we have are different. Yes. But I think you can just take what you can. And what I've been saying to hairdressers recently is, Any little bit of energy you can claw back and take care of yourself in December will make a difference.
0: I love that. I love that. That's that's kind, being kind to yourself as well, right?
1: Yes. It's always about being kind to yourself. You know, I just sort of think, what advice would I give you? And then I try and give that to myself because I would, you know, I would speak to you so kindly if I was trying to help you with burnout. And then you've got to remember to speak like that to yourself, and it can be so hard. And I think the thing is with money worries is it affects people's security in the world and your safety. Yeah. And so money worries are all consuming for people. Mm. You know, it's not a flare, it's not a fair playing field. I think we have to always remember that.
0: No, it's not. It definitely isn't right. And it's
1: for a million reasons. <laughs>
0: yeah, for a million.
1: Um, for a million reasons. So.
0: And there's another one I wanted to ask you about, and I you put that last one so beautifully as well. It makes me feel sad. Um red flags. Mm-hmm. Right. So red flag, everyone's like, if it's a red flag, don't do it. Yeah. I often I, I'm harsh. like, mm, Yeah. Because I also sometimes think that a red flag can be a great opportunity for me to be more careful around something, not just say no to it. Mm-hmm. So it's a red flag is an internal warning trust your gut but it's like she's a red flag and she wants this I make, and I don't want to do it or it's a red flag she wants this but I need the money um there are lots of different responses to these red flags but I don't think red flags are necessarily don't do it I just think these are internal warnings that I need to listen to in my head, depending on the circumstances, what are your thoughts on it?
1: Like, proceed with caution. <laughs> with caution. <laughs> I think red red flags. I know exactly what you mean when we say red flags. This is certainly banded around on on social media quite a lot, isn't it? But yes. I think this—you know—someone says something or behaves in a certain way, and you have a feel. You have a big feeling, and it's not a nice one. Mm. You know, so you, you it's probably fear or anger or something but I I kind of feel that red flags means someone pokes your boundary or what's okay for you they're maybe asking a bit much or you're like oh I've been here before the last person that did this ended up like this and so our internal safety mechanism starts going oh hello hang on we've been here before and so but I think what you're saying is smart. Sometimes when you need the money, we ignore them. I mean, who's not done that? I've done it a million times. Yeah, I've said yes to things I wish I said no to. They're big learning curves. Yes. And I think with experience, I know which ones to say no to now. And I know that some of them just need, I always call it, setting my stall out.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: Someone needs to know how I do things and they can decide if they want to join in yes that makes sense
0: that makes a lot of sense to me because that's what I do every day I'm like this is the way I do it and yes. this is and this is it and if you don't want to do it it's okay I can recommend somebody else to you
1: yeah it's confidence and experience that Jack isn't it because the yes. old me was not doing that she was just saying yes to the red flags because she was scared of them
0: yeah me, <laughs> me too you know me too I mean I've certainly done things I know I shouldn't have done in all walks of life do you know what I mean yeah. and,
1: but I think to some degree as humans we got to do that a little bit. You can't be wrapped up in cotton wool all the time. You know, we have to you know, as long as it's not you know, it's only doing a client you shouldn't have done maybe. It's not life or death. Yes. Um we have to learn the hard way a little bit sometimes. As a younger person I only learned the hard way. I had to experience it and realize I don't want to spend my day like that again. It's not for me.
0: I think it's important. So uh, another conversation with another hairdresser about about this, I think it's important to make the mistakes, so that you know how to not make them again, or how to, you know, do it differently. And I think it's important. And we do live in this world that's fearful of making any mistakes at all. You know. um, Haley, I think I could have part two, three, four, five, and six with you. I mean, you've got a tear in, the, in this dry old eye. So Hayley is the resilient hairdresser on Instagram. She You offer lots of different digital courses and in-person courses as well. So do go take a look there. We'll put the link in the bio for you to have a look. Super helpful. Hayley, what a wonderful hour I've had with you. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Oh, thanks. What a great time.
0: <laughs> I love your story. I love your language. I love the way that you you bring it all together in there thank you for listening to some of my madness as well along the way you are probably like oh god he he needs a few small sessions but um (laughs) i really enjoyed it thank you so much (laughs) you're welcome so i hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as i did making it for you don't forget to subscribe on your channel that you download your podcasts from itunes is my favorite but i know there are others out there and also, if you want to follow me on stories on Instagram, it's Jack JackHowardColor, C-O-L-O-R, the American way, not the English way. And on Facebook, it's Jack Howard C-O-L-O-R. And my website is www.JackHowardColor, C-O-L-O-R.com.